Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And lo and behold, we have my co-host, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? Welcome to the program. I made it. I'm here. No worries. <laughs> we're, uh, we're having one of those days, but that's fine, right? <laughs> hey, man. No one has to see what is going on behind the scenes. We just need to see what's in front of the camera. Like behind the scenes might be more attractive than the front, but that's fine. <laughs> also, something we're not going to worry about today, Lance. What is that? We're, we're not going to worry about that because it's a gorgeous June day. We've got some very interesting Steelers news that we're going to get into. Um, longtime borderline legendary player. I might throw that out there. Legendary player oh. saying goodbye in his own way as the team jettisons him in, in semi-dramatic fashion. A lot of stuff going on. This is uh, these are very important developments as far as the process of building the 2021 Pittsburgh Steelers. I agree. I agree. So let's jump right into it. But before we do that, I want to give a couple of shout outs first. I want to give a shout out to my daughter's uh, her business shop Supreme Queen. You can check that out on IG. I also want to give a shout out to Great Dads versus Everybody. Um, it's the shirt that I have on here. It's a great T-shirt. It's a great T-shirt. I'm, I'm going to send you the link on IG, and we'll put those links and stuff on IG. It's a great shirt. You know, do, have you are you aware of that little movement that came out before with the with the shirts like Detroit versus everybody, Pittsburgh versus everybody, so on and so forth, whatever. It was whatever city you were from versus everybody, and this is kind of a spinoff on that, but it's great dads versus everybody. You're a great dad, so they say. So I think you should have a T-shirt as well. That's excellent. I'm going to pick one of those up for sure. I, I got to love the concept of it. I think uh, perhaps more than anything for um, father figures in this country, it, it's it's extremely important that we embrace those roles uh, that we have today, that the influence that we have um, in a society that, that is so self-centered right now, in my opinion, everything is kind of me, me, me. It's all about, you know, the likes, it's all about the gram it, it, things like that. It, it's extremely important that we remember the level of influence uh, that we have on the younger people in our lives. It's not even just our own children, um, the children of others that we're around. Um, I live in a community in which uh, there are a lot of kids around. Um, I don't want to, to say it takes a village, but it, all parents kind of have a sense of, of responsibility in helping the, the young people um, learn, stay safe. Uh, all of those things are vitally important, I think, to, to the development of any young person. And um, we all have that role. We should embrace it. And in this case, wear it proudly. So I, I would definitely endorse that. That's something I want to pick up myself. Awesome. 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 They're, 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 they're doing a great job. You, you'll love it. And I'll send that and I'll put that on IG and it's great dads versus everybody. Last but not least, nothing but bud butter. Want to give a big shout out to a friend of ours, Simone, who's doing her thing and getting her company going. And the title of this episode is, Does the Waving of David DeCastro Change the Trajectory of the Steelers Season? And big up to Marcus J, Little Rock versus everybody. And I first got exposed to Little Rock uh, from the HBO, I think it was an HBO documentary back in the day, banging in Little Rock, which was wild. It was just wild to me. And, and Marcus, if you're listening, I have family from Parkin, Arkansas, in West Memphis. So big up to Arkansas. 
But the title of today's program is Does the Waving of David DeCastro Change the Trajectory of the Season? Let's just get into the first question. Why did the Steelers wave David DeCastro? Was it injury-related? Yeah, I think we, starting all of that off at the beginning, I, I think all of this tells a, a very compelling story, uh, not just of the, the trajectory of this year's Steelers team, but kind of the nuts and bolts of how an NFL team is constructed, how they operate, uh, even in the offseason. Um, everything that we are hearing, yes, that the issue with DeCastro is uh, injury. Um, he's spoken to, I don't think this is a coincidence either, by the way, he's spoken to pretty much every outlet um with the reporter who covers the Steelers. It doesn't seem like he's shying away from it. He kind of wants to uh, to give his status uh, to the public. I think that that's one, it, it's a mark of class for him. And David, it, he's been a, a phenomenally, um, a highly well-respected player uh, within the Steelers organization, within his community. He's a stand-up guy. Um, it, it's tough to lose that for the team. But at the same time, um, not to trivialize the situation, but it, it's really hard to pay a guy $8.75 million, which he was scheduled to make this season, if he's not going to be ready to play. I, I My guess, uh, you, you piece everything together, we won't get a definitive answer on this, but my guess is the doctors checked him out uh, leading into the minicamp practices, and they determined he's going to need another surgery on his ankle. That is going to knock him out of training camp and into the season. And at that point, it's too much risk for them to take on. Uh, he wasn't going to play. They don't want to guarantee him any money. So they had to make the decision to release him. Um, it's a brutal truth within the NFL, but that's really what it comes down to. And a lot of the issues that players have um, as far as the structure of contracts and leading into uh, DeCastro's comment as far as you know, the owners are billionaires for a reason – they can get out of those contracts if they don't like the injury situation that any player has. And I, I think that's really what it came down to with him. He was not going to be healthy enough to be the type of player that they wanted to pay $8.75 million to, and they could get out of that largely consequence-free uh, by doing it because it's not a coincidence. The dead money on his cap, Lance, uh, the $5.5 million plus the $3 million that they have to um, pay trade, Trey, I almost called him Trey Essex. Trey Turner, his replacement, is less than what he would have made. So right, right. Um, in, in a cap sense, they're saving the $8.75 million and they're only adding on three to bring in Turner. From a cash sense, they're paying out a lot less. So it, it's a financial decision that was presented to them because of the injury. But he was released due to the injury uh, above anything else. That That's not even questionable. Yeah, he was due, what, about eight and a half in terms of cash. And he had a proration of about 5.5. So his total cap hit would have been about 14 million. And to play, yeah. To play. So before I ask you the next question, I just want to comment that when I look at the Steelers, and we've talked about the Steelers sexy tanking in previous episodes. And for a team that's sexy tanking, and you know, there's different we we we've illustrated and illuminated different things that we think why they're sexy tanking. You know, Ben Roethlisberger with avoidable years. You look at all of the contracts coming in, for the most part, they're one-year contracts. You can look at the fact that you don't – I mean, you got Mason Rudolph as your only sign, really signed quarterback next year. There's a lot of different things that illustrate to us that they're sexy tanking. For a team that's sexy tanking, I thought having a guard count $14 million against your cap 
wasn't something that was prudent or smart to do. Unfortunately, well, I should say that unfortunately for David Castro, David Castro, I don't know if I, it, it's fair to say he got caught up in that mix. But sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you first look, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're looking out and it's kind of foggy. Your eyes are taking some time to readjust to the room. You got a little cold in your eyes and you rub your eyes. They were they were cloudy. You rub your eyes and then you look and they're clear. I think the Steelers are like, huh, 14 million for a guard. We're not going to be very good, possibly. Yeah, maybe that's the right move to make. Um, so let me ask this question like this. Is the cap savings that they're going to get worth more than the player himself? It, it Okay. That, that's an interesting way to phrase it because on this show, as we've discussed uh, with Steven Nelson, normally I would say no, but you can't say that this offseason, not with the fact that they cut Steven Nelson, presumably for that reason, because it doesn't seem that there's any other reason for them to have done that. Now, here's the, the sticking point to all of this. DeCastro's contract didn't change. It, it, this is not a decision that they made on June 1st, okay? That this Or I, I should say, this has been looming overhead the entire time. The, the first uh, uh, strands of audio that we ever had on this show, I mentioned the fact that David DeCastro's contract sits as actionable. Three things that I said this offseason were going to have, or four really, that I said was going to happen this offseason. Uh, they're going to do something with Cam Hayward's contract. They're going to do something with Ben Roethlisberger's contract. They're going to do something with Steven Nelson's contract. And they're going to do something with David DeCastro's contract. All those things met different ends, but they're set up to make those decisions. This wasn't something that they just decided they had to do. The, the last year of a player's contract, which is where DeCastro was, is mostly um, uh, base salary. Base salary is what comes off of the salary cap. The prorated portion of their salary cap number is what's there regardless. So the $5.5 million that they have already paid to Castro is being counted for this season, whether he's on the team or not. The $8.75 million is the part that they can take off and with it remove uh, that $8.75 million from the, the salary cap. So they don't have to pay him, and uh, this isn't going to be counted against them. That is in position for that very reason and it, the exact situation that they're in. They have a way out that is positive um, it, as far as the salary cap is concerned. They lose the player, but if he's not fit to play, they can get rid of him without having to pay much of a price. You know, five and a half million to save 8.75 is a pretty good deal. His contract was built for that exact purpose. The way that they ended up um, landing on his final year, that's what happened. And usually when there is a big cap savings for releasing a player, he's in the last year or second to last year of his contract. So um, it, as far as their planning goes, they've always known about this. Let's not be naive, okay? They, they didn't just wake up and say, David Castro. Well, I'm not sure about this contract anymore. They've known that his ankle was, wasn't good. His ankle wasn't good all last season. Watch him play. He really couldn't. He wasn't very effective. Whatever it is that happened, we're not going to know this. Whatever it is that happened in the offseason from the last surgery that he had, it didn't take. It's not healing the way they wanted to. There's another surgery that's needed. We can speculate on that all day. But the reality is they determined it wasn't going to be ready. And he also didn't practice in minicamp. That's not a coincidence. They determined he wasn't going to be ready to play uh, at the level that they would want him to be 
at a, a salary of $8.75 million this season. So the decision was made based on the injury itself. And this is something they've been leading into the value of that, of that, uh, the salary cap space, Lance, I'd argue two ways to that. One, you have some more money. There are other positions that you can address, but perhaps more importantly, and this is what teams are doing to, to really uh, amass a good, healthy chunk of, of cap space. The salary cap number itself is not set in stone. Okay. It's different for every team. It depends yes. on how much you roll over from the previous carry over. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So in DeCastro's case, you can look at it two ways 8.75 million this year that they can spend on whatever dregs are left and, and not to, to uh, downplay Trey Turner, an excellent player when he was healthy. He has injury concerns of his own. That's why he's only getting paid $3 million this season. You have to worry about what level of player is still out there, how they're going to fit in, a bunch of stuff. Do you want to spend that now? My guess is they're not going to spend all of it. They spent three of it already on Turner, which is really just a clean replacement there, one for one. $5.75 million left. If you want to keep that and look to, to roll over it minus whatever you know emergency situation they might come into during the season or when, you know, heaven forbid – the next Minka Fitzpatrick becomes available via trade, you have the money to be able to take on a player of that nature. My guess is they would do that. They might look for uh, a, another bargain for the, the veteran signing um, bonus that, that gets implemented. They could sign a player at um, a, a veteran minimum level, which is about a million dollars, and have him only count for like, what, 500 or 400, 500,000 against the cap. They have the money to be able to do something like that. That's the direction I think that they'll go. They're, they would rather have the cap savings roll into next year when they have to pay TJ Watt, um, when they're kind of up in the air about a quarterback. There are other positions. And Minka. They got to deal with Minka. Minka's in his option year. So his, yeah. his number will go up considerably, but you've got to tag or extend Watt, which right. is going to cost you a lot. And you don't have a, a set quarterback unless you, you know, it, probably the most common talked about point in the show, whether or not you really want to go into camp next season with Mason Rudolph as, as your starter. You I don't know. think you do. You want to have at least some flexibility to go out and, and be able to compete for somebody who's out there, you know, I, whether they'll do that or not, I don't know, but that extra now 5.75 million after Turner's signing into Castro's release, I think they are going to want to, to look to roll that over, uh, in the next season, because I, I don't think there's a player that's worth 5.75 million that's noticeably available right now on the market. I, I just don't think that's there. And I think to your point, the way they're doing everything, everything has, you know, it's everything is one year, you know, whoever they're signing, it's one year. It's it's for this year. And the way that they're building this team, I don't think it makes sense. And I think you're correct. I don't think it makes sense for them to go out and spend the whole eight. I mean, it's sexy tanking. Ben puts a good face on the fact that they're rebuilding. So it's sexy tanking and everything is built into reforming and rebuilding this team next year. So I think in the case of is the cap space worth more than the player, given that he's injured and given that it's an ankle. And I mean, I'm no doctor, but I think the general wisdom around ankles is that they're hard to rehab and hard to get better because they don't get a lot of blood flow. I mean, it's, it's a lower appendage. It's by your foot. I mean, if you ever had a foot injury, feet are the same thing they don't get a lot of blood flow he's a heavy guy you know he's probably had the ankle for years yeah, um so you know, a lot of them do and i would say this too the weight that he has and the fact that if you want to fully rehab an ankle you have to stay off your feet you yeah. can't really do that as a professional player it's hard to, to, to work through it. it it's going to take a long time for it to heal fully if it ever does 
So that, that yeah. makes it even, even harder. And if you've ever done squats or anything like that, you've got to have ankle strength. You've got to be able to drive. If you if your ankles are bad, you can't anchor and you can't drive. Thus, you cannot play um, interior offensive line. But in this case, yes, I think the cap space is more valuable. I think it may have been a mistake, in my opinion, to go into the season with a $14 million guard. Like, what do you need one for? And I don't want to be cold and callous, but, I mean, that's the nature of this. It's about – rosters and shaping your roster guys get cut guys get waived and we'll talk more about the cash the player and his impact on this offense and where does he rank and stand um just one, yeah. one quick point to that though lance it, it, it should be known for the record the pittsburgh steelers pay far more of a, a, a an extension on a contract than any other team does when they sign a player for five years as in what what they did with the castro it is not common for them to release that player before that fifth year. They don't do that. So this is in, in many ways sort of a, a largely unprecedented type of move. Uh, Cam Hayward, for example, just signed a big extension last year. Their uh, odds are very good. He's not going to get cut before the end of that extension. They, they really just don't do that much. Other teams do it all the time. They cut guys two years into five-year deals. Um, changes in general management, changes in coaches, uh, I really hope that Le'Veon Bell is listening to this right now because that is the exact situation that he fought against um, in, in making his decision to not re-sign long-term with the Steelers. The idea was he wanted the guaranteed money. Um, it, today, he could say DeCastro's situation proves why he should have taken the guaranteed money uh, when he had the opportunity to do it. But the reality is DeCastro is the rare exception uh, on a team that signs players to those extensions and plans on them playing through their, the rest of their contract, which is even more reason to say the ankle situation that he has is really just, it, it, it's, bad. it's bad. They're in a bad yeah. position and yeah. it, it's, it's unfortunate that you're right. Um, carrying a guy with a cap of, of, you know, 14 plus million dollars is hard to do even for a, a noted and, and venerated veteran like, uh, like David Castro is, it's not common for them to do that. And like Bad Itch said, he had a bad season with an injury. To pay him to sit on the line, uh, to sit on the sidelines is bad business. I mean, it I, just. I it, would argue the reality is, though, and as true as that might be, the reality is he gave his body for this team. He gave yes. his ankle for this team. At what point do you do you say the the reason his cap number is fourteen point whatever it is is because he's carrying five point five million in money that they've already paid him. So for him to not get the most lucrative year of his contract and be released ahead of time, it, it, it's it's a real thin line is what I'm saying. It, it's real tough to say these guys who have given you everything uh, shouldn't be you know paid for their contract. That's really what the, the level of animosity with the players as far as uh, non-guaranteed contracts goes. That's really tough because he probably isn't worth you know a, a quarter of that anymore. Turner just yeah. got $3 million and he's coming off of injury. You know, he, he should be healthy now. DeCastro is just entering that. He's not even worth $3 million on the open market. Right, so he isn't. He isn't. And uh, he, he loses out on a lot of money on the contract that he signed. That's where this comes yeah. from. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, I mean, he, there's a big question mark over whether he'll play football anymore. And, and speaking to some of the contract stuff, just to break down some of that minutia, I mean, the way contracts are framed in a lot of ways that the Steelers do it is, for Steeler contracts are the players of the ilk of David DeCastro. There's typically a bank of high base five or excuse me, P5 salary that the Steelers can often go into and dip into and do restructures. 
And that's sometimes how you they find themselves in these positions with some of these players. Also, for the general contract for any NFL player, you know, players are protected by the amount of dead money on their contract. So that's why typically you don't see big name players get cut in the first two or three seasons of their contract. The proration hit or the dead money charge hit, I should say, to your cap is just prodigious. But where where they start to be vulnerable is when that um, the difference between their base salary and their proration is on the plus side where it's on the saving side. So when you towards the end of your contract, you know, in a David DeCastro situation, you had a situation where he was owed a lot more in base salary than he was in than the cost of the proration. And so that equates to savings. And when that starts to get a little lopsided um, on the side of uh, paragraph five in salary, then players are vulnerable to get cut. But let's jump into David DeCastro, the player overall. And before we do that, evaluating your opinion, what's the biggest loss of David DeCastro? Is it to the passing game in terms of pass pro? Is it to the run game? And how does his loss impact possibly the offense that Matt Canada wants to implement? Yeah, I think those are, are uh, those are two very different questions. I'll say this. As far as DeCastro went over the last season, maybe two, uh, his loss will be most felt in pass protection. Um, it seemed to me he was much more capable in pass pro than he was uh, the, the main weapon that, that he always had. He could pull. Uh, he was fast out of his stance. Um, he, he was accurate. He could hit stuff on the move. That That's a very underrated skill for, for, uh, for an interior offensive lineman. Uh, getting out of that crouch at full speed, turning your body and hitting a target that you can't be certain is there until you see him in a very short amount of time is a very difficult skill. That's really hard to do that. He was excellent at it. And you, know, you see he guards smaller, but he could get there. To and your he, point, he, you see guards whiff on those blocks all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. It, it's not easy. And keep in mind, you are being asked to go out and block what's probably the best athlete on the field. Your outside linebackers in today's NFLs, NFL are, are walking freaks. Those guys can move. You outweigh the guy by 75 pounds, and you're moving a lot further than he is. So it's hard to, to get from that spot uh, all the way over. If his ankle is bad, he's not able to do that. So from a, a run-blocking perspective, I think he was – you know, uh, uh, probably suboptimal anyway. Um, they'll they'll very likely see a big improvement in, in that regard. But as a pass protector, uh, he was still excellent. He was very good at what he did, a uh, strong technique. Um, in, in today's interior nowadays, it's really hard to, to defend against an Aaron Donald sort. You know, those guys are not easy to block. Um, it, it's tough to do that up and down every single uh, every single snap of every single game. But DeCastro was was excellent in that regard. Um, they'll they'll see. I I think they'll they'll notice something of a difference there. I don't know how much it's going to be, but they'll improve their interior um, ability to run. Their outside zone is going to look a lot better. They're going to be able to run power counter things like that. Um, I'm not sure how much of that, to answer the second part of the question, Canada is looking to employ. I think this is going to be a, a heavy a heavy uh, outside zone, inside zone, gap blocking team. I don't know how much power they're going to run. This ty- the, the type of stuff that, that DeCastro really excelled in. 
basically watch any game that the Steelers played against the Bengals in 2014 or 2015. You'll see what David DeCastro did really well. Uh, he absolutely wiped the field with with the outside linebackers of that team. Le'Veon Bell ran oh, unchallenged yes. in the oh, same. They, oh, yes. they ran the same play for in some of those games. Bell went for 120 yards in three possessions, and it was all DeCastro. He cleared everybody out on that side. They knew it was coming. They could have told him it was coming. That was peak DeCastro. We we haven't seen that uh, the last season and a half probably. I'm I'm going to guess is when. Uh, the injury started to, to take effect. I don't think with the guards that they're going to have in place, I don't think that they're going to look to run a lot of that. Um, outside zone's a little bit different. Um, it, it, it's not going to require the guard to move as much uh, in, in a, a, a powerful explosive kind of way. Um, I think Turner and Dotson are able to do that. I, I think that's what they're going to run. So with or without DeCastro, I don't think um, they're counting on the guards to get out in space and, and hit the moving target as much as, as perhaps they did uh, in, in the past couple of years. Before we talk more about pass protection, big up to Bad Itch, big up to Steelers Freak, everybody that's online right now, big up for, to Bad Itch for that stat that DD only got credited with two sacks and over 2,000 snaps. Also speak to, uh, in terms of pass protection, speak to just how important from a communication sense are guards to picking up stunts and twists in pass pro well how about this we'll, we'll throw this out there because i think it's the most prominent um heading into a season that and I, I could be wrong about this to some degree but my understanding is most teams many teams now have already been cleared for full attendance this season right um maybe not all but it definitely seems like that's the direction and it, absolutely that's where nfl teams want to go Last season, they didn't worry about the loss of Ramon Foster, who was the guy who gave Ben the silent count when they're right. on the road. Right. The teams were loud. Um, that, logically, I would assume that would be DeCastro. I don't think they played in an environment that was particularly loud. Somebody can help me out and put it in the comments. I, I think DeCastro did that um, in the, the rare times where they had to use the silent count, which is usually on the road when when you know teams are, or uh, the, the opposing crowds make a noise. DeCastro would be the guy to do that. Uh, who are you, you're either doing it with a guy that's going to start his first week one game this season, or you're doing it with a guy that you just signed in June. So there's something to that. You, you mentioned communication. That's a big part of it. The center is the guy usually that's making the calls, but center this year is probably going to be a rookie. So and, you, and, you and lost gonna, a lot of experience. And we're going to break in, that down. I want to get your prediction of uh, also in this show, who you think the starting offensive line will be, but continue. I think that the level of communication is going to be paramount in their training camp. I'm not as, as concerned from a physical perspective, because I, I think Adrian Clem looks everything we're hearing. It seems to the type he's basically like, there's a guy on the other side of the line, go beat the shit out of him. That's the type of, of offensive line he wants to build. This is a team that's going to run the ball. They're not going to, to just sit back and throw five yards a pop the, the way that they did all last season. They're going to run. They're going to run a lot because I think that's really the only strength that they're going to have. I, I don't think the passing game uh, last year was particularly effective. I think they got away with a lot, and I think we saw by the end of the season, it's a house of cards. They're going to want to, and, and whether we agree with this or not, I'm not sure I do, but they're going to want to run the ball uh, often and a lot. And I think they're going to want guys to maul up front. Though That's the group that they've employed there now. Communication is going to be a big factor in that. You need to know – who to switch, uh, where to move, who's coming where. There's a lot of, of, of uh, reps that they don't have together. They have zero right now. I don't know how many offensive lines in the NFL 
will have guys that, you know, have a combined, I don't know, you take Chucks out of the mix. You got four guys that have barely played, if not played, if not, not played at all together. You have to find a way to, to gel those five guys together. That's going to be extremely difficult to do. And it's going to hinge on their ability to communicate, understand what they're doing. And probably from a coaching perspective, keep it simple. You know, there's a lot of training they have to go in. I don't necessarily think that they expected DeCastro to play this year. In fact, I, they didn't. I, you know, they, they were up in the air about that. But certainly they went into minicamp with the, the idea in mind that DeCastro would at least be there. They're going to check. Um, I have to think odds were pretty good. If his ankle checked out, they were going to keep him. And it didn't. And they have to move on. That's another piece. You already lost Pouncey. Now you're losing DeCastro. Um, you're a year removed from losing Foster. Uh, you you lost Villanueva. Yeah. You, that's a ton of snaps. Those guys logged a ton of snaps together since way back to 2014. They're without all of that. You're actually time. talking that's probably you're talking probably over 10,000 snaps easy. I you're talking about that. coach to you're talking close to like 4,000 snaps a season across all four players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that that's just a, an outrageous amount of snaps. Before we get into where do you rate David DeCastro? Because you said legendary player and so on and so forth. Just give us some football egghead stuff. You talked a lot about inside and outside zone. And just describe that pretty quickly for some of the listeners who may not be as familiar as myself with both of those concepts. Okay. Uh, inside zone um, is probably the one that that's, that's much harder to recognize. Um the idea of zone, I think most people probably understand that you're you're moving in an area and you're you're blocking to an area. Um, inside zone, the idea is the interior offensive linemen are going to double team one guy while moving to a side. Basically, one's taking inside, one's taking outside. Depending on how that player is moving, the outside guy releases at some point and goes and climbs to to get a, a secondary player, somebody who's there. The running back's job is to take it and look to cut in quickly more than outside. Um, they're, they're looking to cut up, which I guess you always are in zone, but uh, the gap is going to be closer to where the original uh, center would, was sitting. So you're reading a double team from the inside uh, as opposed to looking out to, to get out to the edge. Outside zone, uh, we see that. It looks obvious. It looks like a moving wall. Uh, the linemen are moving in, in kind of a, a, a unified direction, and it's the same thing, though. Usually with that, though, your tackle and or your tight end are kind of they're going after what, what's called the force, the defender who's going to be in position to stop the play, most likely the direction that you're moving. So when you have a good blocking tight end, hint, 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 by the way, when you have a good blocking tight end, he can hit the the edge player on the outside shoulder and then climb to get anybody else who would probably be the force for an outside play. The running back is getting the ball and moving diagonally until a crease opens up and taking a, you know the, the proverbial put your foot in the ground and get north, get up the field. Outside zone is going to be run wider. It's going to be run uh, more in an angle. Um, it, it usually takes a little bit longer to develop. Inside zone is harder to see when you're just watching it, but if you watch what the center and or guard are doing yep. uh, in, in terms of getting to a tackle, maybe even an end if it goes out that far, uh, you'll see them combo block somebody, and somebody will probably release when they get, get across the face of, of the defensive player. The defensive player's job is to get across the face, play side, to where the running back is going. Uh, the inside guy is supposed to prevent that. When he's contained, the outside blocker is going up to the second level to find whoever's there, and the running back is cutting one direction or another based on that block. 
So uh, it, it's it's an effective strategy. The Steelers ran this with Le'Veon Bell, who's legitimately one of the best zone runners that we've seen in the last decade or so. At his prime, Le'Veon Bell was an excellent zone runner. Uh, Mike Tomlin loves running zone. They got away from that um, for a variety of reasons. But they wanted to sign Le'Veon Bell to a long-term deal because he could run zone. They want to coach that. They want to teach that. I think that that's what uh, Clem has really been charged with as far as the offensive line. Very similarly to what they charged Mike Munchak with when he was signed in 2014. And you saw Le'Veon Bell explode immediately in 2014. He cut weight. Uh, they changed their blocking strategy around, and he was an absolute force for for however long he was with Pittsburgh. Um, I think they're planning on doing the same thing with uh, Harris. I, I really think that the idea is he can be this this all pro level guy behind a, a very specific attack that, that's built for his skill set. And I think they have the blockers to be able to do it, but there's a lot to go over with it. It doesn't usually just happen overnight. Yeah, I'm a big fan of outside zone. I think it really stresses um, gap integrity for defenses. And a lot of times linebackers are undisciplined. They don't read it right, hit the wrong gaps. And I think you can really, I think it's really a challenge for defenses and linebackers to really defense it. I'm, I'm a fan definitely of outside zone, but let's jump into David DeCastro, the player from a, a overall historical legendary perspective. And I saw you throw that out as legendary and quickly, I would say, I think David DeCastro ranks very high in terms of guards all time for the Steelers. And I think in terms of the last decade, for sure, he was probably the best guard. You're talking about a guy that made, what, six or seven uh, Pro Bowls, although he's a Stanford guy, outstanding player. Um, where do you think he ranks? How do you think he ranks overall in, in Steeler football lore? I think it's tough to have been a better guard uh, than DeCastro. And I think his legacy um, ultimately, and you're going to hear haters say that, you know, you look just purely at his stats and what the team did in that time and, and they, they won't value him as much. The reality is he missed his rookie year almost entirely with injury. Um, he didn't really play until 2013 where the line was a complete and total disaster uh, for the second time in three years. They fired their offensive line coach. You look at it and you really should grade and evaluate DeCastro as a player from 2014 through 2018, probably. And he went to, I believe he went to the Pro Bowl uh, in each of those seasons. He was an all pro player. And there are some high level guards. Um, not coincidentally, Trey Turner is one of them. Um, it, looking purely at all pro selections, Pro Bowl selections doesn't do justice to how good of a player uh, he was at his best. I think he might fall short of, of the overall expectations for him, but some of that is due to injury. Um, it took him a little bit to get going in his career. Uh, I, I Off the top of my head, um, Fanica, to me, Alan Fanica is one of the best guards that's ever played. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you where I think he's the best Steelers guard I've ever seen. Um, to say that he is not Alan Fanica is not to dismiss how good DeCastro was. If those two are one and two uh, in, in Steelers history, that's pretty good. If, if your all-pro team has Alan Fanica and David DeCastro on it, you're, you're making up for a lot of um, misses at the position, a lot of run that they got out of guys like – Chris Kimoyatu, um, uh, Ramon, uh, I, I think it, probably the best example of somebody who outplayed 
their expectation in, in NFL history. That guy shouldn't have been anything. He ended up being a very good guard for a long time. Uh, DeCastro is just simply far more talented. Um, it, it's they're they're going to miss him in a lot of ways. DeCastro is probably one of my five, ten favorite prospects ever. Um, looking back on it, I remember watching Andrew Luck, uh, seeing his film at Stanford, and it was like, wow, you know, the, not only is Luck really good, but look at this guard. I mean, he's just nuts. Uh, Doug Farrar, who's my, my national NFL columnist within the NFL Wire Network, he said this all the time. He's also from Washington, which is where DeCastro is from. Um, he, he said this about him, like watching Luck, it was like, okay, that that's Luck, but look at DeCastro. This guy is maybe every every bit the prospect that Luck is. Um, the fact that it, this is definitely the most memorable story of DeCastro, the fact that he fell all the way to 24 and the fact that it was the position the Steelers absolutely needed that draft. It, probably my, my most memorable draft experience when, when it, it was just insane. There is no way he should have been available. And I'll drop this as well. I have heard this from two disconnected sources within the Steelers organization. Both of them confirmed this. DeCastro came to uh, 15 overall. The Steelers and Jets had a trade worked out for when the Jets were on the clock at 16. Um, and the Steelers' target was DeCastro. They were moving up to 16 to get him. Wow. And that was, that was locked until the Seahawks drafted Bruce Irvin at 15, which was a shock. That was a surprise. Nobody saw that coming. The Jets, who were under Rex Ryan at that point, wanted an edge rusher. They thought if we trade, get more assets, trade back to 24, nobody's going to take Irvin before that. We're, we're happy with Irvin. We'll take this deal. When Irvin went at 15, uh, you might remember Quinton Copples, who was a, a pretty well-regarded defensive end out of North Carolina. Uh, the Jets said no to the deal because the, the Seahawks took Irvin. They didn't feel they were going to get the edge rusher they wanted at 24 because Copples was a known commodity. He fell a little bit himself. They backed out of the deal at the last second because they had to take Copples at 16. For DeCastro to still fall to 24, it just goes to show the, the value of the player. I, I remember I was at my buddy's house watching it, and I, I was tweeting up and down something that just kind of jokingly Dreams can't come true. Dreams can't come true over and over again because it was like, it, it's impossible. He shouldn't be this close. He shouldn't be on the board. And then the Lions took uh, Riley Reif, the tackle out of, of uh, Iowa. I think he went um, still in the league, by the way. Reif has been a reasonable guy throughout his career. They took Reif, which meant DeCastro was on the clock at 24. I don't think I was done celebrating when the Steelers had made that pick. That was like record time. They turned that card in. Um, just an incredible set of circumstances that brought the right player to the Steelers at the right time. And you saw the ability of their offensive line explode after that. Two years into DeCastro's career. This is incredible. He's, he's been an incredible player. I, I think he's one of the best the franchise has ever had. I'm going to ask you another question in regards of the legacy of David DeCastro. But I want to ask the, the, the how good he was question again but from a different perspective, was he better than Pouncey? And and where do you, where do you think he ranks top ten? I asked my dad uh, the question about the Castro's legacy in guards, and and the guard that he came up with outside of Fanica was Jerry Mullins, um, who played guard for the Steelers during the Steel Curtain run. He brought up Jerry Mullins. Where do you think DeCastro ranks in terms of 
all-time Steeler linemen. And let me give you a top 10 that Sports Illustrated did. They said Mike Webster, Alan Fanica, number two, um, Dermani Dawson, number three, Pouncey, four, DeCastro, five. They went with uh, Jeff Hardings, Marvell Smith, Tunch Ilkin, and uh, pr- thoughts and prayers out to Tunch, who's going to be leaving the booth this year, uh, struggling with a debilitating disease. So shot. Great, great man. Great prayers man. Out, no, prayers nothing out that has time. been said about him is is uh, overblown. He truly is a remarkable guy. I, I really hope he does well. Number nine, they had John Cole, but number 10, Jerry Mullins. So do you think I, – I think it's impossible for him to crack the top three. Like I don't think he's going to be ever considered as good as three Hall of Fame players. <laughs> I mean, Webster – I mean Webster, Fanica, Damani Dawson. That's a no-brainer. That's I mean, a no-brainer. That, that's that, that's um, a no-brainer. And that that's nothing against the Castro. At yeah, all. that's I, nothing against the Castro. Where does he rank though against uh, you know, how do you look at him, you know, and compare to Marquise Pouncey, who they have as four and they have the Castro uh, as five? I I, I don't <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble at some point as far as, as Pouncey goes. I, I, I don't Pouncey Pouncey DeCastro is a better player than Pouncey is. Um I, I I don't think that's even arguable. You ask anybody who knows offensive line and watches it, not from a hype perspective. Um, I will say this, though, because I'm on both sides of this argument. Pouncey is both highly overrated and highly underrated at the same time. He is not nearly as good as his accolades make him out to be, and he's not nearly as bad as pro football focus and other haters make him out to be. Um, Pouncey was a good center. Pouncey couldn't sniff Dawson. He couldn't sniff Webster. He's nowhere close to that level. He's not Fanica. Uh, nowhere near that. I think DeCastro, skill-wise, versatility, I think DeCastro was a better player. Um, I don't necessarily even think it's that close. I think center is I, – I, I think Pouncey was a Steelers center. I think if you look at that list, there are three centers on there, which I don't think there's another team in the NFL you're going to find to have three of their 10 best offensive linemen be centers. Keep in mind what's also unique about that list. I was counting only three of them are tackles. Okay. This is a team yeah. that prides themselves hugely on the interior offensive linemen. Uh, they really don't put a whole lot into tackle for whatever reason. They've gotten good tackles, but if Marvell Smith is the seventh best offensive lineman your team has ever had, and there are six interior guys in front of you, you don't pay a whole lot of attention to your tackles. Um, that said, I think DeCastro, to me, uh, would be four. And there's a good gap between three and four there. But he was excellent. He was really, really good. Uh, I don't think Pouncey was even – well, I'm not sure Pouncey was even Jeff Hardings on a season-to-season basis. I'm not sure Pouncey ever dominated the position. I don't think there was ever a question that – you're not I don't a, think any all-pro <laughs> award that he got was valid. I really don't think he was that good. He was clearly not the best center of his era. I not you get misses on this, and I I, uh, I, I probably shouldn't say that, but it, for for example, I think Cam Hayward got absolutely screwed and not put not being put on the All-Decade team. I think he got screwed, plain and simple. I don't think Marquise Pouncey belonged on the All-Decade team. Um, yeah, you're, you're, um, you know, the I don't, I don't is, think he was that good. I really don't. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I think 
you know, we all have our opinions and and I, I've had, you know, we've talked about this off air and, um, you know, definitely your, your opinion definitely is, is, is a rare of the ones, but I do like how you framed it. He's an interesting player from an evaluation standpoint that he's probably not as good as people suggest, but he's probably not as bad as people suggest and that he's somewhere in between somewhere in the middle. And we didn't even talk about Ray Mansfield. We never saw yeah, Ray Mansfield. Didn't mention Mansfield. You know, he was not we, on that list, by the way. I he was, was not on that list. That yeah. List. And we didn't even talk about Ray Mansfield. But let's talk about DeCastro's replacement, Trey Turner. I don't know much about Trey Turner other than the fact that he has made five Pro Bowls. I know that he is a little banged up. And I think I think you framed it good, but I want your evaluation of him as a player, but I think you framed it correctly. Um, he's only getting three something million for a one year. So Just that kind of, you know, that, that kind of frames what the league thinks of him. And, and just to a point when we were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter this week about in a negotiation, if you're unemployed, you don't really have any room in a negotiation. In fact, you have no room in a negotiation. In June, not really. And you're in ju- you're um, asking but, for a job, right? Like, yeah, like that's you're, because I think where the Steelers are, of course, they want to. You know, they want to replace the Castro, but you know, they could just go young. I mean, they just could go young, and like we're just going to go all young, see what it is. We're sexy tanking this year. We'll just go young. So. You know, I don't think Trey Turner had any leverage to put the screws to the Steelers. They could just say simply, hey, man, keep kicking the tires. When yeah. you come back, it won't be three million. It'll be two and a half million. And it'll be mid-July. And you'll exactly. not have time to catch up. Here's here's what it comes down to. I'm glad you said the sexy tanking thing again. You look at this more as the market really is determining that this move had to happen. Okay. If Turner is not going to get a better deal. The Steelers were not going to find a better guard. Those two things kind of drive what the price is going to end up being. Here's the thing. What I thought was Turner is an excellent example of the situation in which the Steelers usually sign uh, street free agents after the the beginning of free agency. Two-year deal, significant bump in year two, not all that much of a base salary, and really not much of a bonus. The idea behind that is we might need you next year. If you earn it, you're going to make it. If you don't, we're going to get rid of you, and it's not going to matter. So we're giving you a second year on the contract, but you're trying out for that starting right now. The fact that Turner didn't get that really says, I'm worth more than $3 million, and I'm going to prove it. And if I do, you're going to have to tag me, or you're going to need to give me an extension, or I'm going to go make a mint somewhere else. I'm worth more than this. And the Steelers are basically saying, yeah, you're probably right, but you're not going to find a, a starting job for a team that's going to run the ball a bunch where you can show everybody that you're healthy, you're going to have to compete with a rookie. And the more that you sign for, the more likely you are to be cut. You're not going to get guaranteed money, not at your position, not coming off of, of an injury. So let's be honest here. We're not going to tack on another year. We'll give you straight up a one-year contract because if you go and sign for a bunch next year, which you might, we get a comp pick back but we get first shot at signing you long-term. So all in all, the negotiation is largely taken care of. Um, 
we joked about this off list. We saw tweets saying that all of a sudden now he has a bunch of leverage because now the Steelers cut DeCastro after they had met with Turner as if neither side is aware of what's going on. And he can yeah. go out and command $10 million. <laughs> no, like, no, he just got like, released no. from a $10 million it's yearly exactly. contract. He's not able yeah. to ask for that. It's, it's ridiculous. He's I, asking for a job. Yes, but, he wants a job. The yeah. Steelers are going to pay him. A little bit of a premium, you know, come on, for, yeah. for your time here. Yeah. Come on. Look at my name. Look at my track record. I'm healthy. Yes. Yes. You're getting me at a bargain anyway. Give right. me a Throw few million it. more. You exactly. just saved eight and a half for, for DeCastro. Come on, bump it up a little bit. Hey, man, That's look. what it was. It's yes. not 10. It, it Three is honestly what I thought that it was. And our boy, a guy that we, we both really appreciate and enjoy, Ian Whetstone, said he was going to be a veteran minimum guy. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. He's Trey Turner. They have the right. money available. He's not signing right. for the minimum. Um, they're not going to give him a whole lot. So I guess in that way, maybe that you could call that leverage. But it's leveraged deck chairs on the Titanic at that point. It, it's not 10 and it's not minimum. They're going to go up a little bit because, come on, you have to pay him to respect him. And really what they signed him for is a, a prove it deal. If you show that you can still play. Yeah. Which, exactly. to be honest, I think we're going to see early on that the dude can play. Trey Turner is an animal when he's healthy. He's a damn good guard. So uh, speak they're, to they're that. Speak see to that. that. They're going to see that. One of the best combinations of power and quickness that you'll find, um, probably underdrafted. Uh, it, more than anything, they it, teams felt uh, his level of experience probably wasn't all that much. They didn't think that he'd go out from LSU. And he was still a third-round pick, which is usually – the the not high ceiling but quality player level um you could see why he might not have gone in the second round but you saw a ton of potential in him uh he was a beast that kid can he, he could play and you know, keep in mind he's only 29 he just turned 29 he's got a long career ahead of him um he's just coming off of a, a, a tough injury at the wrong time right without the pandemic he might still go through his contract. He might have been able to restructure it uh, with with the Chargers, but the Chargers got rid of their coaching staff. So it, it's, right, it, right. it was a perfect storm with the pandemic for him. And with that, you gotta you gotta wrestle from the mat up. It, you're not going to get the contract that you just got in one year. But that's why it's a one year contract and not two. Steelers would have loved to have had him at two because really they have the same situation next year. Same problem. Yeah. And they were going to yeah. have it with DeCastro unless they gave him an extension, which goes back to the beginning. What I was saying about something is going to happen with David DeCastro's contract this offseason. And it was just like Nelson. I could see them extending him. And I could see them releasing him. I'm not sure. But either way, those positions are ones that they're going to need filled this year and next year. So what do they do? I don't, I don't know what they're going to do as far as Turner is concerned, but they're not paying him a whole lot because they don't have to. But they're not going to pay a minimum because he's Trey Turner, and you know he could. I, I guess you could call that leverage, but that's not ten million dollars a year leverage. Not even close. Give me your Steelers starting offensive line. I'm assuming he's going to slot into DeCastro's right guard position. Yes, Give me your starting he's, five. He's their right guard for sure. The right tackle is probably going to be Zach Banner. Um, I haven't heard a whole lot of chatter of of him playing left, but. Uh, this goes back to the list that you just read off. There were three tackles on that list, and Marvell Smith was one of them. Marvell Smith went to one Pro Bowl. Okay, Alejandro Villanueva, good player. Was Alejandro Villanueva. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that another time. <laughs> yeah, yes. um, I'm not. I'm not trying. It's not. It's not his fault. Okay, it's not his fault. He was a solid player. 
I don't think he was a Pro Bowl player, but he was a good tackle. Marvell Smith was a good tackle. You know, those those are good players. Um, they're not multi Pro Bowl guys. You know, they weren't that level. Smith had a really good year when he was healthy. Smith was a good player. Um, it, it, sorry, I'm I'm segueing big time on that. And the point is that they're not looking at the left tackle as the left tackle, the way that the rest of the NFL does. They're not going to pay premium for a left tackle because he plays left tackle. So was that, um, is that that's Chucks? I, I think Chucks is the left tackle just on, is it Chooks? I thought it was Chucks. I Chuck. think it's Chooks. I think it's okay. Chooks. We'll, we'll go with Chooks. I don't know. Chooks yeah. sounds I think it's Chooks, the core anyway. four. Yes, yeah, but. the core four is usually what I go with just because I don't want to sound familiar with the guys or anything, but it, it, it's he's probably your left tackle because he simply just has more experience. I think that they're going to need that um, next to the younger guard. And you've got a veteran, whether it was DeCastro or now is Turner. um, You don't need that level of experience playing next to the young guy. Um, Banner is, he's been around uh, kind of familiar. I think he played 14 snaps last year or whatever. So he's a veteran on the line. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, it really, it really is. We'll, we'll see if that, melts down or not but they, they've got the kinds of tackles that they usually have people are freaking out over this they don't draft tackles in the first round we've talked about that they haven't done that since 1996 no one talks about that for so you got reason. you got dotson as your left guard dotson is my left guard um, is hassenhauer is hassenhauer the center oh god i hope not that kid no no no, no. If, if he makes the team i'll, I'll be surprised he no, he, he's not an NFL center. Um, we saw that last year, sadly. Um, it really wasn't that much of a drop off from Pouncey, to be honest. Um, Pouncey, here's the thing. Let's let's say this. I'm gonna I'm gonna your last Pouncey dig. Very well. Come on, he's, <laughs> and Morkeese is a leader. Okay, I will say that Morkeese was the key to that locker room. It wasn't Ben. It was it was Pouncey. Pouncey ran everything. Uh, ask the media. Ask the media that whenever Pouncey came out in the posture of I'm going to speak now, every reporter in the locker room ran over to him because if, if it was an issue that he needed to communicate on, he would have. He was the leader of, the, of that team in a lot of ways. That's going to be tough for them to overcome. And but so so you're saying so you're saying Kendrick Green is going to start. I think Green's going to start left to right. I've got a core of four um, Dotson. Green will will win the job in camp. He's not just going to be given it, but he's going to win the job in camp. Turner unchallenged and Banner in the right tackle. That's your offensive line. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, you know that gives me pause. You have an offensive line uh, with no uh, starts together. Rank the line in terms of the AFC North, and I I, I missed it briefly, but briefly touch on because you just talked about penalty in the leadership perspective what are the Steelers losing from a leadership perspective with the loss of DeCastro and then speak to how would you rank this offensive line uh, they, they lose all of it I mean we don't know right now what they're going to be I'll say this at all we we have no idea so it, projecting them against the rest of the division I, I can't do that we have no idea I will say this though I don't want to call it a, a, an element of surprise but nobody else has any idea either. And the only people that really know are Mike Tomlin, Matt Canada, Adrian Clem. They know what they have. They know what they're going to be able to do. And I think you're going to see this team get away with a few things early on because you they don't know enough to be bad. They, they aren't aware really enough well. to suck. I, they're going to go out and just play a style of football. I think that people don't – put it like this. You and I – and probably anybody else listening to this 
knew what the Steelers were going to do by like week three or week four. It took the rest of the NFL until that that Ravens game after that they got rescheduled twenty times. Yeah, it wasn't until weeks. that game that anybody dared them to do something other than what they were doing. That was the first time you really saw them creep up on receivers and start knocking their butts down on five yard slants. You didn't see that. Why would it be any different? All of a sudden, now they're going to run the ball. They're going to keep doing this. Everyone's going to think they're going to continue to try this or that or the other thing. The Steelers got away with something that seemed patently obvious to me after three weeks, that this is who they are. This is what they're going to do. The rest of the NFL didn't catch up on that until like week 12 when they lost. All right. Then it went downhill from there. But if the Steelers are looking to do something that is in their wheelhouse, they've built themselves up to be an inside and outside zone running team. That's, I think, what they're going to do come hell or high water. And it's going to catch people kind of flat-footed. They're, I think, you think of it, they have no expectations. Everybody thinks that they suck as, as a unit on the offensive line. Losing to Castro, who was clearly hurt last year. He was not good last season. Pouncey was terrible last season. I don't know why people don't notice that. You're getting rid of two guys who have legacies, who are great guys, great so leaders. So you're saying, strangely enough, it, strangely enough, it may be a upgrade. I think it is. These guys are healthy. Green, Green hasn't really played. Green's an underclassman, didn't play center. You have no idea what you're getting with Green at the center position. How can you scheme for that, you know? From Clem's perspective, he can watch, he can see, they can put stuff together that nobody will really know for a while. So to me, it's an upgrade also because Green at half of Pouncey's age with a, a full strength body, um, Turner younger than DeCastro, limited with injury last season, but a shoulder injury, not an ankle injury, doesn't affect his mobility. He can get in guys' way in, in outside zone, and he knows what to do on the field. He's a veteran. You're better in those spots. I think to, in comparison to Villanueva, you're probably better with Chucks on the left side. And from there, I don't think Banner is a drop-off at, at minimum for what you saw from Chucks last season. Banner was supposed to be the right tackle last season. So this is that's a great an upgrade. Way, so this is a great way to end the show. Too bad we didn't talk about this at the top of the show, but that's my fault. But given what you just said and that you're you're not alluding, you're saying flat out – this is an upgrade to the offensive line. I think it, it's a matter of perspective. I think there okay. are downgrades to it, but they Overall. have they, they have a couple cards in the deck that I think they're gonna gonna find land on them, and they're gonna be able to use it. I, so, I think it's, so, they could improve. So does this change the, tra the trajectory of the season? So when I say trajectory, I'm basically saying wins and losses. I mean, we both got them at seven and at seven and ten. That's right, seventeen games. Does it change the trajectory on the season? Are they still a seven game a seven game winning season team, or is it more wins? Is it less? Uh, does I it change the trajectory overall? I I did not think their offensive line was going to be the reason they fall to seven and ten. So I would say no by and large. Um, how about let's dip into the secondary next week? We'll, we'll start talking about why they're not going to be good. But it, as far as where they are right now, I don't think the offensive line, which is much aligned, much maligned right now within social media, fans are freaking out over everything that's going on. They lost some bad players. Okay, that's really just the reality. And I, I, I love David Castro's game. I, I loved him as a player. I. Just because I don't think that Morquise Pouncey is a nine-time All-Pro Hall of Fame player does not mean I think the guy is garbage. He was a good center. He's just not a great center. 
the way that that he's you know alluded to be uh, mostly through individual awards. You're losing players who are not even close to their legacies, though. Those guys were not right, good last right. season. Um, you're getting fresh bodies in there. At the very least, they're stronger. They're they're to some degree healthier. Um, you're going to get more out of that. And with it, I think there's more that they can do. And we start to see their plan. I think you can run a pretty strong inside zone game with young Kendrick Green and with healthy Trey Turner. I think that's much better than beat up Morkey's Pouncey and beat up David Castro. So they couldn't do that very effectively last year. Not to mention the fact they're running with with garbage in their backfield, and now you have a thoroughbred taking a 24 overall. They're going to be able to run the ball effectively. And I think that's going to keep them in games. I think they're going to be competitive, but I just don't trust that it's all going to stay together, that they're going to stay healthy. That's why I'm saying seven wins this season. It's interesting that you say that. I don't necessarily think – I agree with you. I don't think the offensive line – was solely the reason why I picked them seven and 10, but it's not a reason that I would pick them to be a playoff team either. I I think the fact that they have no experience as a group, they've never played one snap together automatically makes them the worst line in the AFC North. Probably. Like, like automatically. And when you've got a quarterback who fell in a playoff game and could not get up sort of like he had a clapper, um, (laughs) Uh, that that that's you know that's not good and we're not we're going to talk about the defensive side of the football you know in subsequent shows but no i don't think it changed the trajectory of the season i think it's an interesting perspective that you've taken that they're putting fresh younger bodies on that line that could actually possibly help them execute whatever they have envisioned offensively but with that we're going to go ahead and, and and conclude the program neil thank you for hopping on is there anything that you want to tease on the wire network the Steeler fans should look out for this week? No, we just got a lot of a uh, lot of planning coming for the season, a lot of internal stuff. Uh, we're in the process of hiring people for for various different things. Um, I've had my administrator hat on for for um, last six seven weeks, so I've been out a bit of content. But uh, I know I'm looking forward to reading it. I think you guys should check it out as well. I think next week uh, when we jump into some stuff, I'm going to ask you about. Uh, camp mini camp and, and and who's looking good in shorts because we love football players in shorts <laughs> they all stayed but, healthy except for except for david i guess <laughs> but with terrible. that we're gonna go ahead and conclude the show and as always listeners tune in tell a friend and subscribe go Steelers. <laughs>